Welcome everyone to Seek, Go, Create. This is where we bring together leadership, business, and ministry. We redefine success in all of those areas. We've got a great guest today, but I just want to welcome you. I, I do want to say it's a little bit, uh, a little bit off for me today. I'm not in my typical podcast uh, booth in the passenger seat of our <laughs> RV Theo. I'm actually in a house down in South Florida and enjoying it down here. We've got a pool and everything, so having fun. And I uh, just want to welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening in on Facebook, if you're listening on your podcast platform, or if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for joining us. We welcome you. We're going to jump right in. I've got a great guest today. I've got uh, Alan Draper. Alan's an entrepreneur, an attorney, and a co-founder of, of Proof Pest Control. And uh, we're going to talk about that journey. And also, he's the host of the Business Growth Pod. I've actually been power listening a few episodes of those the last few days. Great podcast. And uh, he's just got a breadth of knowledge in a lot of areas in business. We're going to tap into today. So that today. So, Alan, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you. How are things in Tahoe? Nice. Beautiful. Yep. Spent the entire day at uh, Lake Tahoe yesterday and did a boat tour. And it's just uh, some vistas are just breathtaking here. Gosh, I, yeah, we love that area. My wife and I, there's some parts of the world that we call them how great thou art areas. And yeah. Tahoe's one of those, you kind of top the hill coming over there. So anyway, I'm kind of getting off track. Yeah. I've got a first question I like to ask, and mm -hmm. I like to pretend that you and I just bump into each other. And we're going to let the listeners okay. listen in on this. We bump into each other somewhere out and about networking, whatever. And uh, I just kind of say, hey, Alan, what do you do? What do you typically tell people if they ask you that question? Um, I tell people I'm an entrepreneur, that I my passion is um, starting and growing companies, um, whether they're my own companies or um, helping others grow. That's um, in terms of my um, my professional vision. One of the reasons why I was put on this earth, at least professionally, um, it was to scale companies. That's mm. that's what I was born to do. Yeah, that's that's cool. All right, as typically happens when people answer this first question my mind starts darting and racing all over. Uh, I wrote down entrepreneur with a question mark. So in a little while, I'm gonna ask you to define what an entrepreneur is, but, but, I, but you kind of gave something that's very powerful to me. I, I believe we discuss this quite a bit on the podcast and that is what are we created to do? And you even use those words. You were put on this earth to grow and scale companies. I wanna ask how early in your life were you tapping into that or had some, kind of vision that that's what you were created to do or, or is it recently I mean I guess at what point have you evolved into that yeah so and, and I think evolve is the right right word um, because there were kind of glimpses when I was a little kid as early as eight or nine I ran a, a paper route um, and I started learning the value of money um, I started learning the value of creation um, of selling and um, so, but back then I couldn't put a name to it. I, I didn't understand what that meant. Um, so as time went on, um, started getting into high school, started reading a lot. Um, I love reading business books. I love reading books about people that took very large amounts of risk. And um, sometimes it paid off, sometimes it didn't, sometimes they had to pivot or whatever, but through um, those books were which some which some of which were my greatest mentors. I started realizing, hey, there's there's something more to this life. Um, I was put on this planet at least for professional reasons, right? Um, uh, other things rank higher than that on my priority list, but for strictly speaking professionally, um, I was put on this planet to create jobs and to create businesses. Hmm, that's good, and and there's a lot of aspect of helping and impacting other people with that what, what um what was your home like life like where did you grow up around business owner parents or business owner relatives or did they work for someone else i guess what'd your parents do or what'd, you, what'd, what'd your family do so yeah so my my mom was a stay-at-home mother housemaker hmm. um there were six uh children so i have five siblings 
Um, my father, he kind of bounced between jobs, but he definitely had the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, to be honest, never made a whole lot of money, uh, barely made ends meet. Um, and that's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. That was a, you know, big household to pay for, but, um, I slept in, you know, uh, a bedroom with three of my brothers. I slept on the floor for the first six or seven years of my life. I didn't have a bed. And to tell you the truth, I didn't know any different. I loved it. I thought I had a normal childhood and I, I think I had a great childhood. Um, that, you know, there was one bathroom in our 12 or 1300 square foot house with eight of us living there. And, um, I think that just instilled in me this, this sense of purpose, right. Of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that can be obtained in this life and, um, what has happened in the past. Um, I, I don't, like to dwell on that so much as what I can control. Um, but, but growing up like that, seeing my dad hustle and then I have some uncles, you know, small business, really small business. They would repair lawn mowers or, you know, mow people's lawns. That was very typical with my uncles. Um, and the entrepreneurial spirit for them was more about, Hey, I don't want to work for the quote unquote man where my entrepreneurial spirit is, I can do so much and I can give people, uh, you know, a great place to work where they're proud of what they do, where they enjoy their, their labor and they can, you know, provide well for their families. Right. So, so one, I, I guess, kind of a thought that I had, I, I don't think it was similar the way I grew up, but I kind of had this drive for more. Uh, and and I think that started fueling a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit and things like that. And and I guess I want to ask, growing up the way you did, what was your your mindset about money? And were you striving or not or striving or working to make more? I mean, obviously, it sounds like there's a strong work ethic in your family and where you grew up. But but also there was this maybe not quite ever having enough did that impact you at all when you were growing up or your mindset about money i think it i think it has more just looking back on it Mm. during during that time i didn't know like when christmas rolled around i thought i was the luckiest kid in the world right um i grew up in a small farming community on the oregon idaho border um two thousand people lived there um the world was really small back then and so it, it, um, I, I didn't really know what the world was like, what the options were, what people were accomplishing until I kind of got out of that space. But looking back on it, um, my childhood played such an important role in, you know, many aspects of, of my life. And I was just, I was just visiting my small hometown. I have uh, two brothers and a sister that live close by. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. I went to my old high school, actually. I was playing a pickup game of basketball there. Um, and I was very involved in athletics. And um, that day on my Instagram, I did a video and, I, and it just kind of got me thinking a little bit. And I, and I asked people, um, and I'm 20 years removed from high school, but I asked, I said, hey, what would your pre-high school graduation self think of what you have or have not accomplished right back then the sky was the limit right you're you're kind of you're in that unique phase where you have all the confidence in the world you think you're going to go out and conquer everything but you're not um jaded yet by the world right you haven't been punched in the face too many times yet and so um that was a really touching moment for me to kind of just kind of think back about how motivated I was and, and what I thought I was going to do back then. And, um, and just being from a small town, it just, I I just have a sense of pride in that, in, in how it helped me kind of break free. A lot of people don't leave where I'm from. They don't, a lot of my high school classmates, they find a local job. They kind of work, you know, in a factory or on the farms there. And there's nothing wrong with that. They've raised great families, but for guys like, me and you, it sounds like we wanted to find something more. And, and for me, that drive, it doesn't end it for me. It's not about, Hey, how much money can I make? How many companies can I create? That it's, that's not the thing. That's not my thing. My thing is what's the next step, right? What's my next level of progression. 
And that's what motivates me. And coming from a small town with kind of this really myopic view of the world was great because every time I go to a new place, I visit a new country, I read another book, my mind's just blown. Yeah, just kind of expands you. I, I grew up in a small town too, is just outside of Atlanta. So it kind of got swallowed up by Atlanta as I was growing up, but very similar. And, and you know, one of the things we talk about here quite a bit, Alan, is kind of redefining success. I do believe that there are people that they're called to be in a geographic location for long periods of time, maybe their entire life. And, and I don't judge that negatively at all. There was a time maybe that I said, oh, you need to get out. But I think there's some people that that is what they're supposed to do. They're very successful and they do what they're supposed to do. But then I think there's some people that we just have to go. <laughs> and, and it yeah. sounds like we're a little bit similar that way. I did have something that popped into my mind when you were talking about, yeah. you know, 20 years removed from your high school career. And it's kind of cool going back and playing a pickup game, probably a lot of memories there. But if you had one thing, this is a question we hear a lot of times. If you had mm -hmm. one thing that you could whisper in the ear of your 18-year-old self, knowing what you know now 20-plus years later, what would that be? What would you whisper in your ear and just say, hey, listen, listen, young Alan, do this or don't do this? What, what would that be? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. I would tell myself um, that you are capable of so much more than, than you even know right now. You have this infinite potential in so many areas of your life. And when you get beat down, which is going to happen, when you fail, it's going to happen. Um, it's going to be okay. And you're going to be better for it. Um, I just think that that would have helped me. I wasn't as confident as, as I could have been back then. And I didn't, um, and I, I'm still kind of there where I, I'm not always aiming as high as I should. And, and certainly that was the case back then. And I think with confidence, we, we say, Hey, why not? Why, why not go after this, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal, right? That's kind of cliche. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I've noticed, there were times in my life, probably when I was 18, I, I was beyond confident. I was like to the point of almost arrogance. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and sometimes <laughs> we need a little bit of that dialed back and, I was just doing something recently. This is kind of odd. I've, um, I've just finished writing a novel, kind of a new muscle for me that I'm working, Alan. And I'm really, I'm recognizing that I am very hesitant to put it out in the world because of yeah. the possible criticism. And, and, you know, had I told myself that 20 years ago, I said, oh man, just put it, people are going to love it. It's awesome. Maybe it's maturity. Maybe, maybe, maybe the world's eating away at me. I don't know. But I do think we go through ebbs and flows in that. And I think, Yep. So, so what I'd love to do, let's kind of fast forward a little bit. And, sure. and one of the things I know you're going to be able to bring value to our audience is to talk a lot about how you developed what you've done in your service industry and the service business mm -hmm. you're in. And, and I want to talk mm -hmm. about some specific current events related to employees and things, but I still sure. like to unpack story before we get to that. So we'll yeah. get to that in just a moment. I have trouble connecting the dots between uh, where you were at 18 lawyer mm -hmm. and then, and then running a, a pest control business, which is, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's not a pecking order as far as service businesses, in my opinion. However, many people may not match lawyer with pest control. So there's gotta be some <laughs> story with that. So fill in the gaps there and help us uh, understand how all that happened. Yeah, sure. So it's funny because even I still get the question, what's your dream job sometimes when, you know, your password hint or whatever, and it's still lawyer. I don't know why really? that is, but when I was a little, when I was a little kid, I always wanted to be an attorney, right? Before I kind of got this entrepreneurial kick. And um, after high school, I immediately went into college. I actually lived in Chile in South America for two years on a service mission, mm. um, which changed, changed a lot for me in a lot of ways. Um, for two years, I focused on every, everything, everything except for myself, which I, you know, that experience can't be replaced. Um, I think, I think a lot of finding ourselves, um, has to do, or the, kind of the path to that is actually losing ourselves, focusing on other people. Um, after I returned, I, um, got back into university. I went to Brigham Young University in Provo. 
And um, around that time, it's about 2006, 2007, uh, my brother started selling pest control door to door. And he was doing quite well, making, making a lot of money. And so we kind of put our heads together and said, hey, let's start a pest control company. Um, I, I moved to Columbus, Ohio, where he was, started working for this other company. Um, and we were just too young, not enough uh, financial backing, too immature, couldn't get along, didn't work. Okay. I decided, okay, well, maybe let's go back to law school. Went to law school. I, I went to uh, Arizona State University, Sandra Day O'Connor uh, College of Law, practiced law in Phoenix for a few years, did commercial litigation, while my brother stuck with pest control, owned and sold several successful companies. And then um, one day we started talking about it again and decided it was time to revisit it. And at that point, I decided to, to make the leap. Um, you know, the interesting thing, Tim, was trying to explain this to my law school classmates, right? That's because what I was going to say. Guys... They're going like, because law yeah. school, listen, you know, you know, we talked about attitude a little while ago. And, and there's some things that to, to me are still also a disconnect. So you're going to have to explain this too. Entrepreneur sure. and lawyer are not two words that we usually put together nope. either. So, so you've nope. got a little conundrum going on. You got to explain yourself. Yeah, no, and, and that's that's a really funny and interesting point because lawyers, um, they're they're not typically entrepreneurs, especially litigators, which is what I did. I practiced commercial litigation because, and I was just explaining this yesterday to a friend of mine, that the reason why is because we only see things when they go bad, right? I was on, I represented plaintiffs in breach of contract disputes, and it was they, I represented businesses, and so I only saw business when it went bad. And so a lot of lawyers start to think, you know, oh man, their businesses don't really work. Right. And, and part of being an entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur is sometimes you have to be overly optimistic. I tell people a lot of times, if I knew now what I knew when I started my first business, what it would take, the sacrifice, how long it would take to get to profitability, all the issues that would that that it would cause, I probably wouldn't do it, and that would be a darn shame. Mm. So I, you're exactly right. I had to find this blend between this logical, linear um, thinking that I developed through law school and practicing law, and this creative, ambitious, optimistic personality. Yeah, because I mean, listen, these, this is my experience with lawyers and I hate to generalize. This is, I just want to put a disclaimer out. We have to be sure. careful lumping people together. That's probably one of the biggest challenges with our culture, but almost every attorney lawyer I've ever interacted with has told me every reason we were, we had real estate companies for a while. So we dealt with a lot of real estate attorneys and things like that. They would tell us why something couldn't work. That was kind of the way they were wired. Right. All about the risk and all about the, you know, how to mitigate risk. And the way you mitigate risk, truthfully, for most people, for most lawyers, is never do anything. <laughs> and so, <Right>. and so, <laughs> and you're talking your house, about, right. you're talking about being an entrepreneur, which is all about risk. In fact, almost everything exactly. we do is all risk. So, do you still go through any battles or have you kind of purged? I mean, what, what is your analysis as you look at business and opportunities? Do you look at it from a risk standpoint because of that, uh, that litigation background? Or do you look at it from that optimism? Or, you know, are there any battles on the inside? Or is it a good balance because you're able to look at both sides of it? Yeah, so, um, there, I mean, there's goods and bads, right? Um, I, do, I, I kind of hold myself back from overanalyzing a new opportunity. And a lot of people will think that this line of thought is actually backward, right? You mm. should do all of that due diligence and everything up front. But I, I don't go, I don't meet with, um, with, with a founder of a business or another entrepreneur that I'm considering investing with, um, with the mentality that I'm going to poke holes in the business. Mm. I, so, so I go, I go with the question, why not? Right? Like, Hey, what, why not do business? And the assumption is I'm going to do this deal. And, um, over the years I've, I've written some fairly large checks with, with nothing more than a 15 minute meeting. Um, it, now some of that has been good. Some of that has been bad. Um, my risk tolerance for investment is super, super high, but, um, me spending, you know, uh, 50 bucks on a date night, um, I'm, I'm just because of how I grew up, that's a lot of money. But if I feel like there's this opportunity for growth, um, I, 
I, I'm a, a lot quicker to, um, you know, pull the trigger. So it's, but then once I get involved, right. Once I get into a deal, then I'm the guy that's like, Hey, let's, let's be careful with this aspect. Let's be careful with that. So I kind of turn it around a little bit and with my companies and with those that I consult, um, I talk about all the pitfalls, just like a normal lawyer. I had a buddy just yesterday, give me a call. He owns a service based uh, business in uh, Virginia and Maryland had a very un uh, unfortunate event happen yesterday. One of the worst things I've ever heard happen. And I went through with him um, all the possibilities, um, all the negative things that could come, mm -hmm. right? Like, Hey, but, but I think the difference is, um, during my legal career, I'd say, Hey, don't do this or don't do that. This is going to happen. Now it's like, Hey, you know, so-and-so there's a 99.9% .9 chance this isn't happen. Yeah. Isn't going to happen, but let's, let's err on the side of caution here. Right. And so that's kind of how my role is with my legal background, my analysis. And by the way, the reason why attorneys are like this is because we're trained to be like this. Yeah. You're, you talked about how, you know, your attorneys were saying, you know, don't do it because of this, this, and that. And that's exactly what we do in law school. They give us a, a set of facts and they say, hey, what are the issues with this? So it's no surprise. Yeah, and I, I think there's value to that. You know, I, I don't want to disparage all attorneys. That's not my point here, even though it sounded like I did that. But um, yeah. but uh, you got a lot of friends that are lawyers and attorneys and all. You know, it's interesting as you were talking, my background, my training, I, I went to Georgia Tech, I'm an industrial engineer. And I recognize that I have a very critical eye looking for things that could go wrong also. So it's probably a similar bent. I go into companies, businesses, do the same thing. Yep. I don't go in guns blazing looking for all the problems, but I do yep. look for possible roadblocks to growth, which is probably what you do also. It's like, hey, listen, this is going to slow us down. This is, a, this is an anchor, a weight. And I do think there's value to being able to play both sides of that. So... So that's really cool. Yeah. One thing I do want to acknowledge, though, and I, this is from mm -hmm. listening to your podcast and, and just speaking to you now, I can tell that you bet on people. And, and that is so cool. I mean, I could tell your heart. I could tell your mindset. You pour into people. And so I will give you one quick tip as someone who's probably been married longer than you. Go ahead and spend an extra 50 <laughs> bucks or more on, on that date night. Uh, in fact, go, go ahead and gust up to about $100 or more every once in a while. It, uh, that's a good investment right there, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and the funny thing is that my head knows it, but my heart's somewhere else, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, or go vice ahead, versa. Go, I don't know which is which, but yeah. <laughs> go ahead and purge that out of there. You need to invest that. That's a good investment there. Yeah. So, so Alan, listen, there's uh, some cool things that I listened to. I actually jumped around listening to your podcast over the last few days. Mm -hmm. And and I think I jumped back. And I, and I think you've actually gone through, like a lot of podcasts, do a little bit of an evolution in the podcast. Because yep. early mm -hmm. on, you were really focusing on... I actually listened to a Q&A you did on specifically the niche of pest control business. Right. And so um, why don't you, I guess, just for the sake of the listener, and listen, I know, I specifically know I've got a good friend from way back in high school that listens in, Joan, who runs an HVAC business. Mm -hmm. and, and so she has technicians. And I also have relatives that listen in that are in service businesses. So talk a little bit about, let's specifically talk about the pest control background and what y'all did there. Sure. It sounds like y'all grew it big in like five or six years, uh, mm -hmm. exploded it and added techs and things like that, which is really tough to do. It's tough to go from one to two because yes. most people never do. And then of course to keep growing it. So give us just whatever you want to share about that. I may kind of poke, poke around and ask some more questions because sure. I think there's value to that. And then we're going to blow that up and look at that, how those principles apply to all or many businesses. Sure. I mean, I think one of the best things that I did when I started my pest control company, a couple of things. One, I, I um, got a great partner. My, my brother was my first partner. Mm. Um, since then, we've scaled to others. Um, and getting a partner is an interesting issue in and of itself. Um, there are some people that say, hey, I will never have a business partner. And that's, that's perfectly fine. I, I wouldn't be able to accomplish what I have without my partners. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that because I was an attorney and I didn't really come through through the pest control industry, um, 
it, that actually helped me because hmm. it was never a, Hey, I actually really love being a technician. Um, I know a lot about it. I'm a really good technician. This is what I know. This is what I love. This is what I'm going to stick with. Um, and there's a lot of people that, and you mentioned that a lot of people, I think most don't ever hire more than two people in that industry. And that's because they, they love the industry for the industry's sake. And I have developed a love for pest control and all service-based businesses over the last five or six years, but I didn't start with it. And because of that, my mind was always, I'm going to replace myself. And even to this day, I don't run proof anymore. I have somebody that, that basically runs the entire company, um, for me so that, um, you know, I can do other things now. Um, and we, and I can, I've consulted over 200, um, pest control companies. And this is a common theme is, um, you know, how do I get out of my own way so I can grow the company? And it's hard. It's hard because people are scared. Um, they don't know if they're going to have enough money to pay somebody. They're taking a leap of faith. And so that is one of the ways that we were able to scale, you know, very quickly. Yeah, I love, I, I you know, I, I, the word agnostic. It's almost like you're business agnostic. You, you know, you looked at it and I see, I'm trying to think if I've got some clients in that arena. Not specifically, I've got friends and in interacting, but... What I really see in a lot of business leaders and, and the, the, the biggest barrier is, like you said, people getting out of their own way, but even more so than that, they've got this mindset that nobody can do it as good as them. Exactly. And, and while, that's, uh, while excellence and doing a great job is, is, is good, I think there's a bit of, I, I'll use this word that I used earlier, arrogance. There's like arrogance there's um not not having trust and faith in other people and it really slows people down and so what you said and i'm and i'm calling out to the listener to listen to that part again what yeah. you said is so valuable and it's so cool that you said part of it was maybe you came in you probably enjoyed pest control you had respect for it but you right. probably didn't get bogged down with the super tech aspect of it i mean did you ever get in the truck and go out and do actual pest control i mean probably some right yeah yeah for sure and i mean back in 2006 in columbus i was a technician i was learning kind of okay. that side but then when we started proof i was proof's first technician i was our mm. first office manager our first payroll i was our first pretty much everything but then i knew hey i gotta continually replace myself and you bring up a really good point small business owners have such a hard time letting go of control. And it's, to me, it's funny because I kind of get it, mm. but um, it's, it's, it's a really naive way of thinking. Um, but this, I always say that my companies, especially the ones that I founded, the ones I created from scratch, um, they're a lot like my children, right? I, I, I love this analogy. No one can say anything bad about them or I'll, you know, I'll go to war, right? That's something personal to me. Um, but I can say whatever I want, right? And I never look at my kids and think, yeah, my kids, they're, they're all right. It's either, oh my gosh, my little girl is the cutest thing in the world, or I don't know how much longer I can take this, I need a break, right? <laughs> and so as a business owner, it's a very similar feeling. It's, it's very personal and um, that is one of, you hit the nail on the head. That is one of the hardest things for people that start a small business, especially in the service industry or any other business where they have technical expertise. And the book, the E-Myth is a great, is a great reference for this, for them to break out. But they think a couple of things, one, that no one can do it as, as good as them. And they might be right about that, but you know, there's not 10, 20, 50, 100 of you, you know, at this point, Proof has hundreds of technicians. And um, even if I was the best technician in the world, I wouldn't be able to do that by myself. So they have to realize that. Um, and the second thing is, um, they have to relinquish some of that control, right? Yeah. E even when they hire people, small business owners have a have a problem micromanaging because that person's just not good enough. And if you treat somebody like they're not good enough, they, they're going to go find another job. So, 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's good because there's so many byproducts and negatives that come out of that over control. Number one, I think it's and, and this is I'm guessing you had a little bit of this personality too. control is something that can seep into all of us. I mean, I was that way. But and then yeah. I also had this engineering portion of me that if I did something more than twice, I'm trying to find a way to automate it or offload it or delegate it or get someone else yes. to do it. So I've kind of got this weird thing going on. It's like nobody can do it as well as me. But, right. but you know what, Alan, this, the cool thing is, and maybe this is another maturity thing for me. I'm 57, you know, hitting older than that. And, and I'm getting to the place where I realize, you know, I'm pretty good at things, but I'm not the best at anything. And the more I, and, and I know that's like anti self-development, you know, mantra, but it's like, the more I do that, the more free I become to really do some awesome stuff. And, uh, and so I love the conversation we're having around this because I think that small business owner listening in, this is one of like basic 101. Learn that it, is, it isn't one of these, if it is to be, it's up to me. That's part of it, but you got to start moving beyond that. So anything else that you noticed, I, I guess I want, I want to circle back to the partnership thing. Mm -hmm. Did having mm -hmm. a partner help with that also? Because Sometimes there's just this solo person out there. And I'm, I agree with you. I've had partner situations that have cost me seven figures, probably as much my fault as theirs. So I'm not saying that, but, mm -hmm. but um, talk a little bit more about partnership, the good, the bad, maybe not the ugly, but some good and bad related to it. And sprinkle in family partners because family stuff can be <laughs> the same way. Yeah, and it takes a lot of practice. Going into business with somebody is is a lot like a marriage. Mm -hmm. It it really is. And I've had partnerships that have dissolved, and I've had partnerships that have worked great year after year after year. And um, just like a marriage, I think what the difference has been is two people that don't think the match is perfect, that don't think the other person is perfect that don't think it's just going to be rainbows and sunshine every day, but it's two people that wake up every morning and they say, Hey, it's time to work on our partnership. It's time to work on our business. It's time to work on our marriage. And it's every day. You don't get a day off from that. And if you find a partner that's willing to do that, which is something that I look for, Hey, do it, am, am I working with somebody that is going to give up when things get hard because it's going to get hard you're going to make some bad money decisions. You're going to hire the wrong person. You know, your ideas aren't going to work. Um, but if I have somebody that's like, Hey, you know what, we're in this, we, you know, we might as well work on it, figure it out. That's what I think makes a big difference. Um, and I look for that in partners. I look for somebody that's motivated and somebody that doesn't think, Oh, I really like this guy. It's going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be a day that I piss you off. I'm, you know, I really upset you and mm -hmm. I'm going to have to say, I'm sorry. And we're going to have to figure this out. I had a tough conversation with my brother just yesterday about something we didn't agree on, but it's like, what do you do? You know, now the, the fact that he's my brother, I have, so he's my only, um, business partner. That's a family member. Mm -hmm. All of my other business partners, I'm not related to, um, and it is a little different. And, I think you have to put on a couple of different hats, right? When there's a family event, when, you know, my kids are hanging out with his kids, it's, um, it's, it's family time and we can talk about business, say, you know, some, but anything, you know, anything too intense, we, we avoid in those scenarios. Um, but it's been very rewarding and he would probably be surprised by me saying this, but it's, it's, um, it's helped our relationship. We've been in business now for six and a half years, um, mm -hmm. done some incredible things, um, hired some great people, built a lot of value in, in the communities that we're in. We're now in um, seven different states. Um, we employ hundreds and hundreds of people and um, we couldn't have done it without each other. And um, it's, that, it's that personal progress piece, I think, of, how how does this challenge help me 
and that kind of is is a big part of going into business with a family member. Yeah, that that's good, and and I love the fact that you talked about turning it on, turning it off, because sometimes entrepreneurs, sometimes business people, and when we're in partnership with family members, and I have been, and uh, they can they can kind of consume everything. They could kind of take that's all true. the air out of the room. Other family members start getting negative about the business and those two guys that are yep. always talking, blah, 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 blah. And so that, I think that was a great tip there. You know, one of the things I think I would love to give, to give you an opportunity to give us some good pointers on is in a, in a technician-focused or service-type industry like you have, you just said you all scaled it to seven states, which, which you guys are in the minority because I know, let's see, it was 20-something years ago, I was working as a consultant. I did some coaching with the head of a pool service and maintenance business. One of the mm -hmm. toughest things I ever interacted with, just because that business has so many challenges, people driving around in trucks, people, oh. you know, drive, you know, probably one of the biggest things people deal with. And, uh, you know, the we, we had the owner that had some substance abuse issues and all the employees had substance it was like this really tough situation yeah. and uh you know going in and out of houses obviously if people own pools they're going in and out of nice houses so mm -hmm. just give some tips for specifically service type businesses you've got people mm -hmm. showing up at a home or business they've got maybe uniform a shirt that's got your company name on it mm -hmm. you know your people are going out in the world <laughs> representing yeah. you I'm, I'm throwing a lot on here just to kind of pile on to make it even tougher mm -hmm. but but t tell some things you've you've been able to do to get over that hurdle of going from zero to one and then from one to ten to a hundred and beyond just give us some teaching on that so i mean you you're right scaling a service business is is very hard like if you people that watch the shark tank I think there's yeah. only been like one or two service businesses on there because those guys aren't interested in those types of businesses because they're so hard to scale. Um, but there's, they're great, great companies. There are so many great service businesses in, in our country in different industries um, that, that provide so many great jobs. They, they add so much to the economy, but I mean, it, it's tough. I think one of the key pieces is um, you have to kind of go back to your why. Like, why do I want to do this? Do I want to mm. do this for money? It can be pretty lucrative, but it can be a tough road to get there, right? For a guy that's just starting with a couple of bucks in a truck. Mm. Um, and money's never that great of a motivator. We all think it is, and it's really not. People quit all the time because th that's not enough. So I think, you know, somebody that's really wanting to scale their company, I, I ask them, why do you want to? And then I use that as I go back over the months and, and everything with them um, about when they're facing problems. Um, and, and you're right, driving a truck around is, uh, if I could take anything out of the service industry, it would be that, just mm. because of the safety involved. Um, but I think, entrepreneurs that go into these types of small um, kind of blue collar type businesses, um, they, they have to figure out why and what, you know, what is 10, 20 years going to look like. Um, and, and that, you know, that will kind of help them with the perspective. Now there's a lot of great things about those types of industries, plumbing, landscaping, pools, all the window washing, pest control. Um, there's actually a really low barrier to entry right? I'm not competing with Elon Musk, not yet anyway, right? Yeah. I'm not competing with Jeff Bezos. So there's a low barrier to entry. Um, there's a lot of flexibility with it. There's a lot of personal interaction with the service company. Um, during COVID service businesses, um, at least those that I'm involved in, we grew. Hmm. We, we did better than 2019 projected that we would do. What, what do you attribute that to? Is that because people were home or what, what's the reason for that? I think there's a couple of aspects. Them being home is, is a, a large part of it. Them spending more time at home in their yards, in their gardens. Um, you know, uh, Home Depot did really well, Lowe's of the world, because 
people spent more time at home and so they wanted things to be nicer. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I definitely think, um, you know, that played a, a huge part in it, but these, you know, these service companies, they're just a great way to, you know, you have to provide great value. You do cause you, they'll cancel, but it's a great way to provide, you know, some sort of recurring revenue. And even with your HVAC friend that listens to these episodes, mm-hmm. I have great ideas about what she could do to, um, create recurring revenue, um, through a service-based business. I've always been fascinated. I mean, listen, there's one thing that it's the tough part of it, but to me, it's the gold of it, Alan. The tough part is, is you've got someone who's got to have technical ability. I mean, like tomorrow, we, this house we're at, we've got, we're down in South Florida. We've got like three AC units here. One of them's a little bit acting up. So we've got an AC repair person showing up mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we're right off a golf course. This is a probably seven figure home that we're in and, and then, and then also Saturday, we've got a pool person showing up and, you know, and they come in and so they've got to be able to do the technical piece, but then they've also got to have the customer service piece. Yeah. And that's like gold. If you're good at that and you could yep. get in the door of someone's home, what else is available to you? I'm kind of laying a softball up here for you to kind of, you know, we just talked about my friend Joan and, and all, and, and listen, she runs a great business down out on the outskirts of Atlanta, but, but what else, just give us a glimpse of some things. I mean, if you get in somebody's house, what all can you do? Not theft or anything like that, but the good stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Although we've had some of that with technicians, yeah. <laughs> Darn. But, but no, it's such a, it's such a unique combination but those types of technicians, th- those people, they love their jobs. They mm. really do. And the sky's the limit. We do most of our promoting from within. We rarely look outside our company to hire for a promotion. But, um, th- and that's why having this type of um, being in the service industry, it appeals to a lot of people. Hey, look at I kind of get to control my own schedule. I kind of get to, you know, I don't have somebody, I'm not in an office. I'm not stuck in a cubicle with somebody looking over my shoulder all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to go talk to people. I love that aspect when I was teching. Yeah. Um, I love just meeting new people, talking to them, finding out about what, you know, what their concern is and, and a great technician, it's not a rubber stamp service. It's not, they go there with some ideas. Hey, we heard you have some spiders in the basement. But then they talk to the person. What are you what are you worried about? Are you worried about them getting upstairs in your daughter's bedroom? Is that what your biggest concern is? What you know, and and as they connect with them on kind of a personal level, um, that customer becomes a customer for life. I always say that a customer will not cancel their technician. They'll cancel a company. But if they know their technician's name, if their technician is bringing up their garbage can and their technician knows their dog's name, that, that account's not going to cancel. And so there's a lot of small things. Like I don't need to invent a rocket to be successful. I just need my technicians to be able to talk to somebody. Right. Show up on time, smile, say hello, clean up after they're done, and, yep. and let them know they're finished on the way out the door. I mean, it seems like basic stuff. So, so that brings up something that's, that kind of leads to a little bit of a bigger conversation, but I want to specifically talk about it related to this industry. At the time we're recording this, recording this deep in the summer of 2021, there seems to be quite the challenge with hiring and employees, and there's just a lot of things going on. I don't know if there's like a slinky effect that's going on because of the pandemic or if people are rethinking what they do with their lives or unemployment, whatever. There seems to be a lot of things going on, Alan. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about the challenges of just hiring in that service industry. And then I'm going to ask you some bigger picture questions in just a moment, but right now let's talk just that, that industry. Yeah. So, I mean, this year has been crazy for, for hiring and Mm. our companies, our pest control companies scale at almost uh, double the size. So almost every year we double in size. It's closer to 180, 185%. But um, so we have to hire we retain our employees very well, which a lot of people don't think about when they're worried about hiring. Um, now you want to get 
the bad employees, bad apples out the door because they'll do more harm than nobody there. But um, a lot of times businesses like this don't think about, hey, what can I do to keep the people that we have, right? What's my turnover rate? They're so focused on getting new blood, right? We always think that the grass is greener. We always think that this guy that just knocked a ball out of the park in an interview is going to be better than the technician I've currently got. We'll see 90, you know, 120 days down the road, how you feel about that. But so first thing I would say is focus on your retention, continue to develop, especially in these service-based businesses, continue to develop the perks and um, benefits of, um, you know, working, you know, for your employees. Um, and then the second thing is, is always be hiring. Always mm -hmm. don't take your ads down. Don't stop talking to people. Um, about hiring and in the service industries, there's usually a high season and a lower season at least. Um, so people are worried like, hey, it's December, I'm not super busy, you know, in the pest control world, um, I can't hire, hire that person right now and pay them for six months before you need them. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, a, it's a risky move, but if you find a good person, it will pay off. People are what really make companies grow and make them successful. It took me a few years to realize that. But um, so, you know, number one, retain your people, continue to develop your, um, th the offerings that you have for your employees, their benefits, and two, just always be hiring. Don't, because what happens is we, you know, we always find out that we need somebody like two weeks ago. Mm. So if you're constantly hiring, constantly looking for good people and you have a couple people that, you know, have some flexibility with your company, um, then you'll be better positioned for that growth. Yeah. I, the reason I love that is because number one, if you're in a growth mode anyway, and you're scaling and you're always having people come in the door and you're always building that there's a momentum. I, I use the word momentum a lot in business because yep, if you and you're going to find a way to use them. Yeah, you're, you, you you have people that come in the door. You're gonna you're gonna find a way to put them to work. Yeah, and if you're always stopping and starting your hiring process, it just makes it harder. I I believe yep. so. That's a great 100%. tip. That's a great tip, and I think that spills over to other industries also. So, all right. So here's some bigger picture things that I think that you can help us all with. Recently, uh, I was reading some things, and I think regardless of when people listen to this, I think this is going to be current. But recently, Microsoft did a study that said something to the effect of 40% of all employees are currently actively looking for another job. They're actively considering changing or doing something different. And, yeah. and at the time of recording this, of course, we're, there's still people that are trying to decide if people are going to be back in the office or they're going to be working remote. Obviously, service techs, they've got to go out. Almost 95% of those, they're going out and going into people's homes. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, I've, I've listened to you, I've heard you talk about some things and it is very obvious to me, Alan, that you have been able to tap into something with creating a culture that retains people. And, and I think more, more now than ever, I've got clients and I know people that have, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 employees if they have people that are good and showing up, they need to do all they can to keep those people. So yep. what can we do to, to develop that culture, to tap into some of the things you guys have done? Uh, share with us some things, because I, I think you've got some magic there that you can help us with. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I wish there was this light switch, right? But it's a process and it takes time. People, I get this question a lot and, and people want me to say, oh, it's our 401k. Or, oh, it's our health benefits. It's money. We just, right? we just pay them more, and it's not we that just either, pay right? More. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, right? It's a lot less expensive, but it's a lot more complicated. I think money is like third or fourth down on the list in, mm -hmm. in what some, an, an employee is looking for. The number one thing that we try to do for our people is to create a vision for them that they can accomplish with a team. One of the greatest motivators in our, in our lives is working together with other people to achieve a common goal. And so we have all sorts of competitions and we, we, you know, we'll pit one branch in, you know, our Boston office against, a, you know, our Detroit office and they'll see who can, you know, have the highest retention that month. And there's, you know, some smack talking going back and forth and there's a lot of camaraderie. 
and people start talking about work outside of work, right? Imagine that a technician talking about his job after, after hours, not the guy that's just trying to punch the clock and get home. Um, so that's a big part of it. What are you doing to get people excited about what their, what their job actually is? Number two, I think you have to, as individuals, we want to feel like we are progressing. We want to feel like we're taking on more responsibility. We want to feel like we're making more money over time. We want to feel like we're personally developing over time and that we're not stuck in the kind of proverbial dead end job. And so, as I mentioned earlier, most of our promotions come from within on the service side. I can maybe think of one time that we hired somebody outside of proof when we had somebody that possibly could have filled a role. And because of that, people know, Hey, I have a future at this company. Like I didn't get overlooked by somebody that was outside. And when those promotions come up, those new roles, and they come up a lot because we're doubling in size every year. Um, we, we communicate, we invite everybody who wants to, we, we allow people to go from one department to another. We allow people the opportunity to move from one state to another, and we'll pay those costs just to keep them. And so um, number two would be progress. What is your company doing to help people progress, make more money, develop personally, feel like they're learning more about their job and their skill set? A lot of companies are afraid of doing that. Hey, if I pay for their education, if I pay for them to take classes, if I, you know, give them training, allow them to get certificates, allow them to go to, you know, seminars and conferences, I'm going to lose them. Well, you've probably already lost them if that's where your mindset is. Um, and I think with those two pieces, um, giving them a chance to work together for a common goal, um, you know, allowing them to, pro to progress. And then a, th a third thing is, who are you surrounding them with? Are you hiring, you know, people that just, just cause more work and more frustration just because you need to fill a seat? Um, your hiring is a, it, which is ironic, right? It's the chicken and the egg thing because your hiring is going to affect your retention. It is. You cannot allow people that perform poorly to stay. And it's so tempting in this industry because it's hard to, hard to find people. Um, but so that would be my third thing is like, don't let people stay that are, that are causing problems in the company gossiping. And, you know, people don't, your people don't want to work with them. So get them out of there. Yeah. I, I love all that. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm writing down notes and there's, it's amazing. You know, we didn't talk about paying more, you know, give them extra benefits, you know, get them a massage coupon or buy them a Starbucks coffee. I mean, all that stuff can have value but these are the notes i wrote down and maybe this is just wording rewording the same thing you you give mm -hmm. people the ability to be a part of something bigger than themselves there's something inherent in us that we just want to be a part of something bigger all of us do and yep. i think it's really cool how you worded that and then the word i wrote down for number two that you were talking about is you know progress the ability to to move mm -hmm. forward and do bigger things i wrote down the word hope you give people hope that they can oh, do something bigger and better and all. And so, um, man, that is so powerful. Uh, those things you do, Alan. And, and listen, I know that when you work with people and I coach and work with people too, we have to be practical because there's ways that you do that. It's not like you just put a sign up on the, uh, you know, the door and say, Hey, you know, you're part of a bigger picture. I think it circles right. back earlier and maybe, maybe I'll, I'll ask for an example of this mm -hmm. so that we can maybe hit it home. Maybe as we're wrapping up here, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that people need to understand their why. And it really helps to, to grow the business. And I think that why fits into being able to communicate the bigger picture that people are part of. 100%. So I want you to, this is my final big question before I wrap up with a few more, Alan. For mm -hmm. that person that's sitting there right now going, I don't know if I know my why. I don't know if I could communicate the bigger picture to two, three, four, five, ten guys or, or girls that are working for me. Yep. How can someone tap into it if they feel stumped by the why or the bigger picture? I think that's key. So help us with that. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one, right? Um, I, I've discovered what really motivates me just through experience. Um, you know, I've read a lot of books, 
Simon Sinek is a, you know, he's kind of the, the father of this concept. He wrote a book called start with why, um, uh, one of the, one of the most viewed Ted talks ever was the golden circle. That's a great place to, for someone to start because he starts asking questions. He gives examples of several companies, Martin Luther King Jr. But he, um, he asks questions that will kind of get, get your mind in the right, right spot. So I would definitely start with, with him as a resource. Um, but I think all of us, um, deep down, we, we have this innate desire to figure out a few things. There's, there's a few questions that, um, we want to figure out in this life. I think one of those questions is why am I here? What, what, what am I doing on this earth? Um, and I can't answer that for anybody else. I can't even answer it for my kids. I answer it for myself, but start spend time thinking about that. A, a lot of time, there's some exercises that might be helpful. If you, you know, imagine yourself, you're eight, you're an 80 year old person, 80 year old you, what are you doing? What are you spending your time with? Right now, what would you do if money wasn't an issue? How would you spend your time? I would be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, I know people, they'll, they'll write their, their own eulogies. Like, hey, what, what do I want people to say about me at my funeral? That's a really good exercise to determine what matters to you and, and what your why is. Um, now, conveying your why and your company why, it is an it ongoing process that needs daily attention. This isn't something that you you write a mission statement and put it on a wall and it collects dust. This is something that at, at our proof companies, we we tell them in the screening interview, hey, you're going to need to go check out our core values and learn about our company because that's going to be 90% of your first interview is us asking and trying to find out if you are a good match for us. So we talk about it before they become an employee. We talk about it when they're onboarding. We talk about it weekly in their training meetings. We talk about it, any type of disciplinary action, when we're promoting them, when we're doing annual reviews, we talk about it during um, our Christmas parties, when we're doing our proof, our proof gives back, which is our volunteer um, uh, foundation that we started. Um, and so, um, and then more than the talk is how do we act? How are we treating people? What do we do when somebody really needs a bed bug service and they can't afford it? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how you show people your why. And it's, it's ongoing and it better not tire you because if it does, you'll let it, you know, you'll let it lapse. You'll, you, you won't be talking about it. And you have to be passionate about it. So, um, and if you're not passionate about it, that's not your true why. It should be natural. It comes naturally, you know, to you. You want to talk about it. You want to, you know, not focus on the bottom line for last month, but you want to focus on, you know, how many hours we gave to our communities. That's how you find kind of your purpose a little bit. Yeah, I love what you said about passion because for me, I observe, and really all the people I interact with, if it gives them energy, that's a word I use kind of at times. If there's yeah, great word, if it dra drains you, I mean, listen, there's hard work we have to do at times, but if it drains right. you, that may not be what you're designed and created to do. But if you get energy like this right here, and I, I know, and I noticed when you're doing your podcast, I love this. And, uh, and it gives me energy. I get excited every time I get to have this yep. conversation with people. So, you know, it's just something that you were designed and created for. Now, I also bet, because I know you do consulting and coaching, you probably help mm -hmm. pull that out of people also when you interact with them, true? true? Yeah, and that, I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? Is to, um, because a lot of, if we don't understand why we're doing something, um, making decisions and, and kind of scaling gets really difficult, right? If we don't understand the purpose for our companies, then when it's like, hey, should I hire this person or should I hire that person or should I invest, you know, $100,000 in this equipment or it becomes more complicated because if you know why, why you're doing all of this, mm -hmm. then when it comes to the what should we do, it's a lot easier. It's like, well, which one helps us get us closer to our why, right? Does this person, this person is a great salesperson, right? They are maybe top of the industry, but they don't meet. Our, match our core values and our purpose for why our company exists. So if we hired them, that individual, then we would be moving further from our why. 
And so people call me and they say, Hey, Alan, how do I increase my bottom line? And I'm like, okay, well, what do you, why do you want to increase your bottom line? Gets them, frustrates them a lot of times, but that's what we're trying to get to because with some people, I might say, you shouldn't increase your bottom line, right? You shouldn't worry about that. You should worry about this, right? Yeah. So clean up, clean up this mess over here and then we'll worry about the bottom yeah, line. So that's good. Exactly. Hey, hey, Alan, just a couple more quick things as we wrap here. Sure. Uh, what's your ideal client? What's the type person? I know you do some consulting, coaching, things like that. Mm-hmm. What, how do you define your ideal client? I mean, I think you've moved beyond just those in the service industry and all, but, but who would be mm-hmm. someone if they're listening in and they say, Hey man, I'd like to connect with Alan. How would they know that they should reach out to you? Anybody that, I mean, it could be anybody that has an idea for starting a company all the way to, you know, somebody that's, um, that does millions in revenue every year and they've been doing it for 10 years. The, the question is, um, are you wanting to get to the next level? Hmm. Could you, could you benefit from somebody that, um, has really scaled a company? So, um, my clients aren't people that are like, yeah, I just kind of want to keep doing what I'm doing. I may have an issue with hiring or I may, I, I want to get my books better. My client is, Hey, I want to double the size of my company and I want to, you know, really scale. Um, those are the people that, um, that I mesh well with. Um, and those are the people that I can really, really help. I'm not really the type of guy that helps people solve problems. I can, but that's not where my passion is. Yeah. My passion is, and then, you know, scaling does involve solving problems, but, um, uh, and I turn a lot of people away by how I talk to them because they'll, they'll just say, Hey, I just, you know, I don't want to quit my job. And, you know, I, I, I want to just, you know, make an extra 30 grand a year. Don't that, that's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. There are people that can help you do that. I am not those people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you like, quit, quit your job invest everything that you've got and let's go for it. That's the client I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think there's a mindset that people need to adopt if they're laser focused, hyper focused on that growth. And it sounds like you're the guy that can bring that support and assistance there. Hey, Alan, how can people connect with you? Where do you want them to go if they want to reach out and they go, Hey, I need to connect with this guy. Where do you want to send them? We'll, we'll, sure, we'll my... include links. We'll include links and, uh, but, but just verbally give that to us here. Perfect. Yeah. My website, alandraper.com um, is a great place to find me. Um, my, my podcast you mentioned is the business growth pod with Alan Draper. Um, and my Instagram, I, I post daily motivational stuff and, uh, you know, business news, talk about investing crypto, real estate, talk about a lot of that stuff, um, quite a bit. So my Instagram, I'm probably the most active on. Cool. I, I didn't know you were into crypto. We could have had a fun talk there, but that probably would have gotten yeah. us off track. So very yeah, cool. A lot sure. of interesting things going on there. So, hey, Alan, uh, final question before I do a wrap here is a mm-hmm. uh, question I like to end in. We are seek, go create. Those three words we mash together. Which one of those words means more to you currently than the other two and why? Seek, go create. Create without a doubt. I, you know, I was, I was put on this earth to build in different areas, build relationships, build people, um, build finances, build companies, you know, build my social network. Um, so that's, I mean, creating is, is something that, you know, I, I, I just love that word. I love what it stands for. And there's so much in the world right now. That's the opposite. That's destroy. Right. Um, it's so much easier to destroy something than it is to create. It's so much easier to bring somebody down than it is to build them up. And that's our default, it seems like, in society. And so there's, we're just in this unique phase right now where we need builders. We need people that create jobs, that build people, that motivate them. And so for me, that's a, that's a no-brainer. I love create. Yeah, that's awesome. Alan, thank you so much for sharing with us. It, it, I've enjoyed it. I knew I would. I highly recommend people go check out Business Growth Pod. I've listened to, like I said, I power binged listened to a handful of episodes over the last couple of days. Enjoyed it thoroughly. I love your mindset, your attitude, and the value you bring. I think you definitely did that with our audience. I appreciate it greatly. So go check that out. If you're still listening in, I want to encourage you to do one more thing as a favor to me, and that is share this episode. If it's blessed you, if it's given you some good value, just share it. Share it on your socials. We're Seek Go Create everywhere you can share it. 
and uh, get the word out to people. And one more thing, this is a personal favor to me. I've recently finished a novel. I'm gonna ask that you go to seekgocreate.com forward slash book and check out the book. Depending on when you go there, you could download chapter one for free. Or if you're listening to it later, you may be able to get a copy of the book there. So seekgocreate.com forward slash book and check out the novel that I wrote. I typed it out with these two fingers, word by word. Tough thing there. So thanks for going and checking that out. And thanks for listening in. New episodes every Monday with as much value as you heard today from Alan. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.